0: I'll tell you a short story here. My father, I didn't even know when he lived at home. He'd come around once in a while after that. I remember he bought me one thing in my life, just one. Now, I'm sure he bought other things when he lived at home, but I remember him buying one thing. It was a little metal thing about this big around. He bought it for Easter. It had candy in it. it had a little pump on the side, and when you ate the candy out of it, you could put water in it and pump the handle, and water would pump up and come out. to spout. I thought that was neat. It's the only thing he ever bought me. <coughs> After I got old enough, I spent a little time with my dad and said, okay, let's see what kind of a guy you are. You know, when I got up 18, 19, 20, I started doing things for him. You know what? He was just as cheerful and friendly and happy as he could possibly be every time I'd come around. But you know what else? He just used everything I gave him, gave nothing back. I put gas tanks in a boat for him. You know, I made them and put them in, made a live well and put it in, did some other stuff for him. And I said, all I want to do is go fishing when you go. Never went one time. Him and his friends would go. (laughs) That'd be it. You say, well, what about that guy? Well, he was my father. You want to live a long time? Better find a way to honor him. I got another father. Who's that? Father-in-law. He's a little bit easier to honor. He's been gone almost three years. And about three and a half years ago, I sat down and talked to him about something he wouldn't talk about his whole life. And that was Pearl Harbor. He was on board the Oklahoma when that thing got bombed. He was in charge of the radio room. He was on duty, but he wasn't at the radio at that time. He was in a bunk in the radio room. His bunk's right there beside it. And so the guy comes in and he said, man, we were just ordered an abandoned ship. He gets out of the bunk and he says, no, ain't nobody leaving here until I confirm that order. (laughs) So he gets on a horn and calls the bridge. He said, there ain't nobody up there. He said, okay, must be time to get off the ship. <laughs> he said, okay, man and ship. They're down about three decks now. And I don't know how many levels there were, but it's like the Alabama over here. You know, it's a lot like that thing, that same class. And he said, he ran over to a stairway and hit the stairway. It's not a stairway. They've got main stairways. You ever been in the Alabama and they got zigzags. Those are main stairways, but there's other ladders that go straight up to hatches. He runs over to that ladder and starts up the ladder, and he said he got there, one of the first that got there, because they hit the radio room first, and I guess maybe they were supposed to do something else with that message, but hit the radio room first, and I guess maybe they were supposed to send out, you know, abandon ship order and whatever. So that was one of the first people notified. So he gets on that ladder and starts up, and there's one guy ahead of him. He gets to the top, and this guy's a big guy, a burly guy, and he's pushing on this hatch, trying to get the hatch open. He can't open the hatch. And he said, I looked down that ladder. He said, with solid bodies all the way to the bottom. And he said, now that hatch wasn't supposed to open because that hatch was supposed to have dogs over those hatches. They're not locked down tight, but they kick those dogs over there in case there's an explosion in that ship. Those hatches don't go flying, you know, hundreds of feet into the air and come crashing back down. They got up to that hatch and that thing's supposed to be closed. That guy's pushing on it, pushing on it, pushing on it. He looked back down to go back down. There ain't no way back down. He grabbed that guy's pants and pulled him down that ladder and went up past him and pushed his shoulder up against that thing instead of trying to push it with his hands, put his shoulder up against that thing and shoved it and it opened up. And somebody hadn't done their job, but those dogs would have been over that thing and he couldn't have got out. He gets out of it, you know, and a bunch of other guys got out because somebody hadn't done their job that time. And he gets blown off the ship into the water. He's swimming around, fire, oil, and all that stuff. Started swimming. There was a launch going by and he said, well, maybe I ought to swim over there. and Maybe I ought to swim over there. He didn't know what to do, man. I mean, bombs going off, bullets flying everywhere, pieces of metal, pieces of people flying. You can't even envision what took place on Pearl Harbor unless you were there. This guy was about 20 years old. You talk about changing you forever, it changed him forever and he never wanted to talk about it. Anyway, he swam over by this dock and he said there was one great big sailor and the guy reached down with one hand and picked him up by the collar and snatched him clear up and set him up on the dock. Later on, they got a hold of him to go give Morris code to these guys that were trapped in the ship upside down. He said the first guys they talked to and then they burned a hole in the ship, got in there, they were all dead. They killed them with the fumes. He says, So then they had to go to cold and drill and stuff and try to get through that steel without flame. He said, they got about three of them out. The rest of them all died. That's a different kind of a father. You can honor somebody like that. But you know what? We all have the same dad. And it's our heavenly father. Now, when I talk to you about these things, about Frank R. Spencer, it's an interesting story to you. You know, if I went into all the details he went into and told you a bunch more, it'd be interesting It might even reach you on the level of appreciating some of America's heroes, quote unquote, you know. You know there's a lot more heroes than they ever honor, don't you? You know what the difference is? Those people haven't been in the right place so they could be shown what they really are. And there's a bunch of them they honor as heroes that really aren't heroes, you know. They're just doing their job kind of a thing. But the ones that risk life and limb to help somebody else and protect somebody else, now those are the kind of people that are real heroes, Anyway, I tell you these stories and they're interesting. But you know, it reaches somebody way beyond that. It reaches my wife. You know why? Because she has feelings for that man. It's just a story to you. You know what's supposed to happen when you start hearing something about your Heavenly Father? It's supposed to reach you like that. That's what's supposed to happen. But it doesn't happen. <laughs> How do you actually feel, honestly, about our Heavenly Father? What feelings do you have inside? I was like, I love Him. Yeah, I love Him. Look over at Psalm 66, 1 and 2. 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. You know what's wrong? You guys sing those songs and you sing them without emotion for a real basic reason. It's not reaching you down here. It's got you up here. You got it intellectually. You know about the cross. You know what went on. You know how he raised Jesus from the dead. But those songs are only reaching you intellectually. It's basically head knowledge. It's not getting down beyond that. When you sing those songs, you actually feel them? Yep, once in a while, boy, I'll even get a tear once in a while. You know what? If we appreciated him like we should, it wouldn't be once in a while. That's right. It would be all the time. You'd open that thing up and you'd say, oh man, this is something. You feel the words of the living God when you read this book? Seriously. Look at Psalms 27. Psalms 27, 7 to 10. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me. O God of my salvation, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Do you feel any of that? Or is that just... Oh, well, that's kind of nice. You say, oh, well, what's that passage have to do with anything? You know what? We don't appreciate God enough. That's why it doesn't mean much. Now, I guarantee you, if my wife was studying something that had her dad in it about Pearl Harbor, she'd be feeling every word of what she's seeing. We see these things on Tora, Torah Torah or Pearl Harbor, the movie, or any of that other documentaries... And I see that explosion going off on that Arizona. I don't know how many times I've seen it. And every time I see it, I think he was right there. He was right in the middle of all that chaos. And it reaches me. I see other stuff and it's just kind of like interesting information. That's pretty good. I like that, you know. Our problem is that the seat of our emotion is unaffected by what we know. You know why God wants your heart? Because that's where your emotions lie. He doesn't care about your head. You want to know why the Laodicean church is lukewarm? That's why. We have got all the knowledge in the world. In the last days, knowledge shall be increased. And so the more we know, the more we understand, the more we feel, the more we do, the busier we get. It's all just about what's going on up in here. And we're so busy with all of that stuff, the other stuff is kind of like, oh, well, ho-hum. And it's really a sad state of affairs that we live in. And I don't know if there's any real way to solve the problem. Except the only way you're gonna get beyond that is to quit thinking about yourself and start thinking about him seriously. Begin to grasp who our father is. You say, who is our father? Well, we'll look over at Psalms 24 now. 24, seven to 10. It's great stuff. (laughs) I
1: just read this last week.
0: You know why he's talking like that? You know why he jumps around sometimes? Because he feels what's being said. That's why. Now, I'm not that kind of a guy. I don't go jumping around. Every once in a while, I feel like it once in a while, but most of the time, I either get just goosebumps all over me, or I start crying, my voice starts cracking. I just get overwhelmed with it. I was over there talking to a guy at a trailer park the other day about the glory of God, and for about 30, 45 minutes, the whole time, man, I'm just tears coming out of my eyes. <laughs> I said, man, this is great stuff, God. You are just great. Verse 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Now that is somebody, you know that? In him, we live and move and have our being. Am I alive? Only because of him. Am I moving? My mouth is moving, my heart's moving, my lungs are moving, my chest is moving, my eyes are moving. I mean, all kinds of things are moving. In him, I exist in him. It's not like he wound me up like a top and set me off over there. He didn't make me and then leave. How far away are you, God? Oh, I'm inside. I'm inside. Why don't we feel that stuff? Because the words of this book aren't real to us because he's not real to us. And the reason he's not real to us is because we're so much about ourselves, we have missed the most important thing that exists to known man. Amen. That's the problem. The other day, I was talking to my daughter on the phone. We were talking about this stuff, and she walked outside, and her son was out there when it started raining. I said, What's going on? She's, We've got a thunderstorm coming, thunderclouds and stuff moving. You see that it's up there, Dale? God's moving those around. See those? She says, Man, those storm clouds are whipping around, and you know, wind's blowing them boy, and they're moving across underneath each other and getting black. Big old raindrops coming down, you know? It's starting to rain good. See those raindrops, son? Now, is the people that wouldn't even go to church five weeks ago, hadn't been at church for years. This kid didn't even know who God was. He came home from school after I started praying and says, Mama, who's God? My teacher at school says, he made everything. How come I couldn't get my prayers answered? Because it was about me. My real desire is that God benefits from making her. And if he can use me to enhance that benefit that he gets, I'm all for it. Our conversations have not been about her and what she ought to do and about her kids. Our conversations have been about the father. She tells Dale, she says, see those raindrops coming down? God's making every one of them, sending them down. He knows how many there are and where they're going to land. And I thought, oh, come on now. And I thought, I got it. God says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You understand that? Let me tell you something. All of us underestimate Him. That's right. We really do. We underestimate God. You say, how do you figure that? Look at Psalm 147. We underestimate Him. Psalm 147, one to four. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praises comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth The broken in heart, he bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars, and he called them all by their names. You don't think he knows where those raindrops are going? The stars up there are like the sand of the sea. Could you name them? I'll tell you what, if you could name them, you wouldn't be able to go and say, That one is so and so, after you named them. He not only named them and he made them, he knows right where they're at. You realize what kind of a father we have? I don't think so. I know I don't. I think the miracles in the Bible are a key to understanding God. I've prayed and prayed and prayed recently to know God better, to understand the knowledge of the holy. I want to know who my father is. I want to know what he's like. When I look in that mirror, I want to be able to see some kind of a reflection of him because he created me somehow in his image. Now I'm like fallen man. But you know what? I believe God's got hands and fingers and feet and eyes and a tongue. And I think I'm made like him. That's what I think. I don't think when I get there, he's going to be some strange illusion or just a big ball of light. And that's it. And I'm talking to a light ball. I don't think that's it at all. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Does that sound like just a light ball to you? No, not to me it don't. That sounds like somebody can get something done. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How long did it take you to do that, God? Not very long. I can get it done pretty quick when I'm in a hurry. <laughs> How long does it take, God? No time at all. I don't understand that, God. No, that's because you've been studying yourself instead of studying me. You've been trying to figure out, you know, well, how could he do that? Well, I couldn't do that. How could he do that? If you'd have spent more time studying me instead of trying to figure out how you could do that or how anybody else could do that, then you'd realize it's way beyond all your capabilities. Look, why did Moses come up to the burning bush? What was that about? Why didn't God just talk to him where he was at? Why didn't God do like he did a bunch of other times? You know, send an angel down there and you think you're just talking to a man. <laughs> Some have entertained angels' underwear. Why the burning bush? God's trying to tell you something about himself. Why all the plagues? Why did he separate that water in the Red Sea? You know, and they cross across on dry land. Why did he take the wheels off the chariots? Just so he could drown them. Just to slow them down just enough so I could get you. Why do you do that? He's trying to show you something about himself. What's he trying to show you? He's trying to impress you with something. What is it? He's trying to impress you with the fact that he is the single most important thing in existence. That's what he's trying to impress you with. He doesn't do anything commonplace. When God gets involved in something, he starts doing stuff miraculous. That's what he does. And he enjoys that. It's his pleasure to kind of show off. But you know what? God can't show off because that's just who he is. Why didn't you do it a simple way, God? Because I'm trying to get you guys to understand something. It's supposed to be honor thy father and thy mother, right? It's supposed to be honor God with your praises. It's supposed to be honor your heavenly father somehow. You know how you honor him? You spend some time thinking about him. You spend some time appreciating him. What about David killing Goliath? Why'd he do that? Why'd he do it that way? He's trying to show everybody there something. How come Daniel in the lion's den? Couldn't he kept him out of the lion's den? You bet. Couldn't he have had somebody else go down there and kill Goliath? Sure. Why did he do that? He did it to show us something. Not just them. He did it to show us something. You know who this book's about? This book is about God. That's who it's about. We get to thinking sometimes that's about those stories in the Bible, you know, Jonah and the whale. (laughs) No, it's not. It's all about God. It's about the works of God. It's about what he's capable of and what he does. And in a glimpse of that, you get a feeling for why he does it. That fiery furnace, that thing is really something. They go down into that fiery furnace and it kills the guys outside the doors. (laughs) Roast some, oh man, that's a bad job to have, let me tell you. <laughs> they go down there and they're walking around in the fire and the king's looking at that thing saying, didn't I just throw in three? Well, how come they're walking, oh man, there's another one in there and he looks like God. When you see God, you're not gonna have to be saved to know who he is. How come? He's that impressive. <laughs> he recognized him immediately. He didn't even oh know he God. existed. <laughs> And who is the God that shall deliver thee out of my hand? (laughs) You don't really want him to deal with you, king. You want to be able to just take the example and go on with your life. (laughs) Take what he gives you and say, okay, Lord, I'm starting to get the picture a little bit here. I'm starting to understand. The wind and the seas obey him. Why? Because he made them all. Why wouldn't they obey him? (laughs) When he can say, wind, be there. How'd you do that, God? Well, I put all these air molecules together and then I created a heat and I started stirring all this stuff around. It obeys me. The ones I have problems with is my children. The rest of the stuff I don't have any problem with. How come, God? Because those are the ones I gave a free will to. Why'd you give them a free will, God? Because they're more valuable to me that way. How come you had to buy them back, God? Because the ones that come to me are the ones that are really valuable. The rest of them, they're not worth anything. I'm just going to chunk them out. Just like down at the city dump, just going to get rid of them. There's something inside of you that makes it worth the price God paid for you. There's something inside of you. And when we finally see him, we're going to realize how important he is and he wants to get his money's worth you give him his money's worth, do you? Or are you just so much about you that you kind of hardly ever even think about him? It's just passive. Lazarus, come forth. How come? Going to show you something. You realize God made a DNA strand that they're just now beginning to understand. And it's like seeds of people somehow. Somehow. That's your personality. That's your hair. That's the size you grow. That's your intelligence. That's everything about you inside that thing. You don't think God figures out which one of them raindrops is going where? We all underestimate Him. You think not? Look at verse five, one forty-seven five. Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. You don't think you underestimate him? We all underestimate him. Who is this king of glory? He's our father. That's who he is. I mean, you couldn't possibly enjoy a day like this if you're saved without appreciating your father. Wife and I are gonna sing you a real quick song here at the end of this just to give you a taste for some things. I didn't get a chance to read the other verses in Psalms I wanted to read. I didn't figure I would, but I... Put them down anyway. But it goes on about how God created everything in the mountains and the hills and the lilies of the field over there in Psalms. Come on beer. Our God can do some stuff. Amen. He really can.
1: This is my Father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, His hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lilies white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world, He shines in all that's fair. In rustling grass, I hear him. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget. That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world, the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be won. Let's close in prayer.